Welcome to California Highways Route by Route. This podcast explores everything about the numbered highways in California, from Route 1 along the coast to US 395 along the Sierras, from Route 8 in the south to Route 139 in the north. Brought to you by the California Highways webpage and Gribble Nation. I'm Daniel Fagan. I do the California Highways webpage. I'm Tom Fear. I'm one of the four admins of GribbleNation.org. Uh, usually I am the one writing about California or the Southwest. And I'll note that during this episode, we have our guest speaker listening in, Annalise Agren. I'll introduce you to her when we get to that portion of the podcast, but you might hear her chime in. You might not. We shall see. This is episode 2.04, Route 1, San Luis Obispo County and Big Sur. So far this season, we've been exploring California highways route by route with Route 1. So far, we've discussed the first federal road between Cumberland, Maryland, and the Ohio River, which is now U.S. Route 40, the exploration of what is now Route 1 in other states, the first state highway, the Lake Tahoe Wagon Road, which eventually became U.S. Route 50, the first legislative route, what we refer to as LRN1, now U.S. Route 101 from San Francisco to Crescent City, and a little bit of U.S. Route 199 north of there to the Oregon State Line. Signed Route 1, now Route 1 between north of Gaviota to U.S. Route 101 near Fortuna. We saw that the 1964 renumbering lengthened Route 1 with the addition of former Signed Route 3, former U.S. Route 101A, Legislative Route 60 from San Juan Capistrano to Ventura. We then discussed the history of Route 1 working from the southern end. We started in Orange County, and we've gone through Los Angeles County, Ventura County, and Santa Barbara County. For each, we've discussed the following, history within the various counties, the plans for freeway routings, names used for the highways, and plans and projects along the route. As a reminder, our discussions build upon the background we built in the first season of the podcast, where we discussed the history of the state highway system, which serves to explain the different eras of state highways and what we mean when we talk about legislative route numbers, the great renumbering, and so on. The numbering approach taken for state highways, which explain how the route numbers were chosen and why, the names of the state highways and how they were chosen, and the organizations involved in the state highway system. If you want to catch up on any of our past episodes, we encourage you to go to our Spotify for Podcasters home at anchor.fm slash route or our forever home at caroutebyroute.org and listen to the back episodes. In this episode, we continue our exploration of Route 1 going in post-mile order from south to north. Our focus today is Route 1 in San Luis Obispo County along the Central Coast through Big Sur, basically anything south of Carmel. As always, we'll cover interesting history along the route, proposals for freeways, the stories behind some of the names of the route, interesting projects proposed for the route. This season, we have 10 episodes on Route 1 and two for Route 2. The next episode will cover Route 1 in Monterey County and Santa Cruz County. North of Carmel, we should note. Correct. As a reminder... Route 1 after the Great Renumbering, post-1964, has multiple segments. The first segment was Route 5 south of the San Juan Capistrano to Route 1 near El Rio, basically Ventura, except for the portion of Route 1 that's been relinquished to Dana Point, Newport Beach, Santa Monica, and Oxnard, and there is a pending authorization to relinquish in L.A. south of Santa Monica. Second segment from Route 1 at Emma Wood State Beach, 1.3 miles north of Route 33 to Route 101, 2.8 miles south of the Ventura-Santa Barbara County line at the Mobile Pier Undercrossing. This is what was the Rincon Highway, former U.S. 101. From Route 101 near Las Cruces to Route 101 in Pismo Beach near the vicinity of Lompoc, Vandenberg Air Force Base in Guadalupe, with authorization to relinquish in Pismo. This is what was called the Cabrillo Highway. And from Route 1 in San Luis Obispo to Route 280 south of San Francisco along the coast, via Cambria, San Simeon, and Santa Cruz. And there are a couple more segments in San Francisco and north of the Golden Gate Bridge we'll tackle in later episodes. So this episode focuses on the portion of that third segment in San Luis Obispo County, basically from Guadalupe to Pismo Beach, and the portion of D along the Central Coast up to near Carmel, up through Big Sur. Recall how these fit in historically. Recall, segment A, Oxnard to San Juan Capistrano was U.S. Route 101A, Sign Route 3, and Legislative Route 60. Segment B in the Ventura Beaches was a former segment of U.S. Route 101, which has been since bypassed, Legislative Route 2. Segment C, Las Cruces to Pismo Beach. This is part of the original length of Sign Route 1. 
part of Legislative Route 56, with some portions near Orkrut as part of Legislative Route 2. Segment D from San Luis Obispo to San Francisco. This was part of the original Sign Route 1 and Legislative Route 56. So this segment, the segment between San Simeon and Carmel, is part of the oldest segment of the route. In 1919, the route from San Simeon to Carmel was added to the state highway system. In 1921, the segment from San Simeon southeast to Cambria was added. In 1931, it was extended to San Luis Obispo with a connection to Legislative Route 2, US 101, with some routings in Cambria removed. In 1933, there were more extensions added. The segment from LRN2, US 101 near Las Cruces, the Alampoc and Guadalupe to Legislative Route 2, US 101 near Pismo, segment C as we've talked about. Legislative Route 56, which is Route 1 near Carmel to Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz to San Francisco via the coast. Segment D, the state highway near the southerly end of the Marin Peninsula to the Marin-Sonoma County line via the coast route. Segment E, the Russian River near Jenner to Westport, and Segment F, Ferndale to Legislative Route 1, again US 101, near Fernbridge. And in 1935, this was all codified as part of Legislative Route 56. There have been some subsequent minor changes to the route. In 1943, there were some adjustments south of San Francisco due to rock slides. We'll cover in Episode 6. In 1951, the gaps north of Marin were filled in. In 1955, there were adjustments near Fernbridge and Leggett. In 1957, they deleted the reference to Carmel, which is via Carmel. In 1959, they changed via the vicinity of Lompoc and Guadalupe. And often, this language saying via the vicinity of was to allow an eventual urban bypass. So when they deleted the reference to Carmel, that was because they built a bypass around Carmel and it wasn't going through the center of the city anymore and the 59 change was to allow something similar. Some historical routings. The alignment in San Luis Obispo County, which I'll refer to from here and forward, is Slow County, runs through five cities near Pismo Beach. It is then co-signed with US Route 101 to slow the city, runs through the city to Morro Bay, Cayucos, Cambria, and then the San Simeon. Note that between Pismo Beach and Slow, the city, Route 1 is co-signed with U.S. Route 101. This segment is technically part of U.S. Route 101 and was part of Legislative Route 2, but we'll cover that more when we get to U.S. Route 101. When we eventually get there, there'll be a whole season dedicated to it. It then continues through Slow County to the, and Monterey County along the Central Coast through what we call Big Sur. There's no major cities or communities along that area. There are some. They're small, though, in Big Sur, but the coastline and history of the highway are very notable. We're going to explore a few of those communities. You'll hear us talk about the five cities, and the five cities historically referred to Arroyo Grande, Grover City, which is now Grover Beach, Halcyon, Fair Oaks, and Napoma. They, it generally refers to Grover Beach, Pismo Beach, Shell Beach, which is actually part of Pismo Beach, Arroyo Grande, and Oceano, which is an unincorporated county land service by the Oceano Community Services District. Route 1 enters this area south of Oceano, turns west at Valley Road, northwest at the railroad tracks, crosses via an overpass to the ocean side, and continues along the beaches and coast to rejoin US 101 north of Pismo. Historically, in Oceano, it turned on Railroad Street, crossed the tracks, ran along Railroad Street, and this was bypassed once the overpass was built. The city of San Luis Obispo. In 1931, LRN 56 was extended from Cambria southward to slow the city. LRN 56 split from US Route 101, which was on Monterey Street at Santa Rosa Street, and continued northwest out of the city. Within Morro Bay and Caicos, the pre-freeway routings. In Morro Bay, Route 1 ran along Main Street until the freeway bypass was built. In Cayucos, Route 1 ran along Ocean Avenue before the freeway bypass. In Harmony, which that's a kind of an obscure one, but Harmony is there. In Harmony, Route 1 ran along what is now Old Creamery Road. Junctions, Atascadero Road in Morro Bay was where Route 1 met U.S. Route 466, which in 1964 became the re new routing of Route 41. Green Valley Road north of Harmony became the new routing for Route 46 around 1970. And if you look at the map, you can see how it shifts down as part of this. Now, in Cambria, before the freeway, Route 1 ran along Main Street, and it would have also run along Moonstone Beach Drive. Route 1 would have met Sign Route 41, which is different than modern Route 41, 
at Santa Rosa Creek Road until the highway was renumbered to the south, as we just noticed in 1964, and replaced by Route 46. The construction of a rerouting of Route 46 onto Green Valley started in 1966 and was completed sometime between 71 and 75, and this moved the junction to south of Cambria. This was likely necessitated by the construction of the freeway routing through Cambria. This moved Route 41 far away from Main Street and far away from the original junction with the original sign Route 41, which was at Main Street. So they had to move it south to where the freeway was. What's interesting about Santa Rosa Creek Road is there's a huge just rock formation there that they call the wall. And kind of by our standards today, it would be a one-lane road. The modern iteration of 46 is actually classified as a two-lane expressway. So they improved the road when they shifted it to the south. They did. Now, in San Simeon, the original alignment of Route 1 was through San Simeon on San Luis Obispo-San Simeon Road. Route 1 was moved off of San Luis Obispo-San Simeon Road to the modern alignment running past Hearst Castle Road between 1943 and 1960. It's hard to figure out the date. The Arroyo del Puerto Bridge on San Luis Obispo-San Simeon Road dates back to 1916 and was part of the original legislative Route 56 alignment. Route 1 originally ran through San Simeon on Main Street. And now we get into, I think, the most interesting part of this segment of Route 1, which is Big Sur. A trail from Monterey southward to El Rancho Sur between the Little Sur and Big Sur rivers existed as early as 1853. This trail was declared a public road by Monterey County in 1855. By 1870, the trail had been approved to a wagon road as far south as Bixby Creek. By 1886, trails south of the vicinity of Sycamore Canyon at WB Post Ranch had been approved enough to allow wagon travel. Today, much of this old wagon road exists as Coast Road from the Bixby Creek Bridge south to Andrew Molera State Park. It actually still appears on maps. The original impetus for a highway between Carmel and San Simeon came from a doctor John L.D. Roberts, founder of Seaside, California, in 1887. One day, a shipwreck required Dr. Roberts to ride to Point Sur, which took him nearly four hours to do to care for the injured. He recognized the need for a road, photographed the land between San Simeon and Carmel, and has been credited at being the first surveyor of the rocky stretch of the coast. Roberts' early efforts influenced Senator Elmer S. Ridgden of Cambria, who worked to obtain a 1917 appropriation from the state legislature for a survey of the alignment as part of a larger bill for highway surveys throughout the state. These surveys helped convince the Highway Commission that a route was feasible through Big Sur. Funding for construction was approved in a 1919 bond measure. Initial estimates came in at $1.5 million. Federal funds were appropriated, and in 1921, voters approved additional state funds. Earth-moving equipment on the Carmel-San Simeon leg began in 1921. It was immediately challenged by the elements. Equipment fell off the cliffs and into the ocean. 70,000 pounds of dynamite blasted through the granite, marble, and sandstone of the rugged terrain, and lime was smelted for making concrete. The heaviest construction was the 65-mile section between Spruce Creek in the area north of San Simeon. More than 10 million cubic yards of rock were blown away. In 1945, work crews found some of the original dynamite sticks under a section of road. By 1924, construction was halted due to labor shortages in the remote area, only to resume in 1928 with the introduction of convict labor. San Quentin Prison set up three temporary prison camps to provide the labor for the road. One was set up by Little Sur River, one at Kirk Creek, and a later one established at Anderson Creek. Inmates were paid 35 cents a day, and their prison sentences were reduced in return for work. Uh, locals like John Steinbeck also worked on the road. In 1937, the Carmel-San Simeon Highway was formally dedicated by Governor Frank Miriam at a ceremony near Pfeiffer Big Sur State Park. By that point, 29 of 32 planned bridges had been completed along the route, all designed by the California State Bridge engineer Friedrich Panhorst. These bridges, notably the Bixby, Bixby Creek Bridge, have since become world-famous tourist attractions. It wasn't until the mid-1950s that the highway was open all year. Before then, it was gated to non-residents. That is, local traffic only, no tourist or through traffic during the winter months. If you're kind of familiar with Big Sur and the rain that they can get, that probably makes sense. Now, Big Sur has been constantly plagued with land and mudslides throughout its life. And the only problem is... It's essentially the only artery through that area. 
There's only one other road across the mountains after Route 46. That's Nacimiento Ferguson Road near Mill Creek. That's a 24.2-mile road that connects Route 1 to Fort Hunter Liggett. It was completed sometime between 1935 and 1938, and I'm not sure it's been improved much since then. <laughs> About two-thirds of the road is a wide, single-lane roadway with no center lane. It's barely signed from Route 1 and is easily missed. Sections have a 14% grade with lots of hairpin turns. It connects to County Route G14, which in turn connects to US 101. So this is how you get there from US 101. And of course, it may be closed without notice when there's live fire exercises on the Army base, and it's been heavily damaged in recent years due to fires and has not been fully rebuilt, and it's also taken a lot more traffic, I think, than they ever thought it would take. And we'll be talking about this a little bit more. I know Tom is, I forget whether we have another um, section on this, but I know Tom's driven the road a lot, and our guest has driven the road a lot. Do you want to say anything about the road before I go on? It's an awesome road. Um, it's my, it, I especially enjoy the last seven miles where you drop from about 2,700 feet right down to the ocean. Um, I, I've taken all sorts of cars out there, including my Challenger. Um, it's intimidating. It's right on the cliff. Um, it's definitely not for everybody. I know it's a motorcyclist favorite. So I really hope it reopens because when the Mud Creek slide was going on, I would use that to get in and out of that area all the time. And it was a lot of fun. And Rand, we should point out for our guest, the reason Tom goes through that area is his work takes him out to Monterey. Sometimes. Sometimes I just like to go out there. <laughs> so, what are, Annalise, what are your observations for um, Nacio Mendo Ferguson Road? I'm sure you've had to take it. Oh, yes. I've had to take it a lot. Uh, and you're right. When Mud Creek was closed, Pfeiffer Bridge had also collapsed during that time. And Paul's slide slid. So Nacimiento Ferguson was the only route we had available for residents and for tourists, anyone who needed to stay in Big Sur or just wanted to come out and visit. Um, I think, if I may say at the top, motorhomes are not advised to take Nacimiento Ferguson Road. And it is a cyclist and motorcyclist dream road, but there's danger in that. Um, I think more for the automobile drivers than the motorcyclists and cyclists in that we're, we who drive cars are, are trying to see around blind corners and then, you know, sometimes a motorcyclist comes along quickly or there's a pack of cyclists and it's just it's a very dangerous situation. So we try to drive it as carefully as possible. Um, and as Tom mentioned, the road is closed right now. It's undergoing extensive rebuilding in all the culverts that were both blown out in last winter's storms. And hopefully they survived this winter's storms. Oh, um, they're trying to accelerate the schedule in order to um, yeah. get most I, done. Yes, pardon me. You know, I wonder whether they teach kids something we learned back when I was in school. And in, in an earlier episode, I talked about growing up at camp, which is at Yerba Buena Road and Route 1 in Malibu. And we had a road to the camp at the top of the hill, which was a very windy road. And we always learned on a blind curve, you honk your horn when you can't see around the curve to alert oncoming traffic. And I'm not sure people are taught that these days. And that's very important on roads like Nacimiento Ferguson, where you have blind curves. Speaking of kids, um, when the road was closed north of Lion Kiln State Park and still closed south of Gorda, I went, I went out there. So I spend the day out at Lion Kill State Park and I come back up and I'm just kind of sitting at Coast Ridge Road having a snack and these two 17-year-olds pull up and they ask me, like, is this the way to Big Sur? And I say, yes, it is. But like, hey, do you know what low gear is? And they kind of look at me like completely confused that I had to explain to them, like, you're going to have to shift probably into low gear for a while to coast down this hill or you're going to melt your brakes. That was uh, pretty interesting to see. I'm sure Annalise can share stories of people who did not know how to drive the road who had major problems. Well, like motorhomes, as I said, that's the biggest problem. What you know, Google Maps doesn't doesn't give good directions, and so I have driven the road and seen 
motorhomes stranded, or I've seen tourists from other countries driving in circles. Sometimes I take uh, conference calls out in the middle of nowhere where I know there's some cellular service, and I stop at the roadside, and I'll see the same car drive by several times. One time, I got off the call and went after that car because I'd seen it several times go by, and it turned out they were following Google Maps and were just completely lost back there. Um, so Tom, you gave good advice and other people don't follow Google Maps. Yes. And this goes to, I think the point that, and we'll, and we'll get back to our narrative, closures of Route 1 due to mudslides can isolate those who live on or near the Sur. And often that results in the need for multi-hour detours, either south through Slow, north through Carmel, or through Nacimento Ferguson, depending on where you live. And we'll talk about this more with Annalise in a minute. But let's talk about some of the history of what's happened on Big Sur. And I'd like to thank Annalise, who helped give me a document that had gone off the Caltrans website. It is now back on cahighways.org as of my updates a day or two ago, so it's back available on the web. There have been regularly winter storms that result in slides that close Route 1 for days, weeks, months, or over a year. And we're not even going to bother to talk about those shorter than a week. Even before it opened in 1935, there was a 20-mile closure beginning 40 miles south of Monterey, south extending towards San Luis Obispo. There were closures in 38 and 40 in the winter of 41. The 1940-41 through 41 season gauges at Cold Spring near Parkington Ridge recorded 160 inches of rainfall, a record that stood until the storms of 83. Road closures due to slides and slipouts occurred all along the new highway, prompting some state officials to consider abandoning the route altogether. In 1952, there was a six-week closure at Big Slide, which is about a mile south of Lucia, Monterey, post mile 20, resulting from earthquake disturbance. This remained an active slide for years following the earthquake. That's one big problem you've got in the area, by the way, is you'll have a slide and they'll fix it, but the slide will remain active. And I think that's part of the problem that is in the current slide that's closing the route. In 1955, there were washouts all along the highway, including San Carpiolo or Carpolo, something like that bridge, White Creek Bridge, Duck Pond, Mill Creek Bridge, and a major slide at Redwood Canyon. The road was closed for eight months. There were additional closures in 58 and 63. In 69, there was a series of winter storms over a three-month period, which caused numerous slides south of Big Sur and closed the road for about three months. I couldn't find any record of major closures in the 70s. In 1983, just north of McWay Falls, approximately Monterey Post Mile 35.74, the slope gave way, closing Route 1 for almost a year. This buried the road with 4 million cubic yards of dirt and rock. 26 bulldozers worked for 22 weeks to clear the highway. Caltrans had to push 8 million cubic yards of the hill further downhill to stabilize the slope and make a new roadbed. This also created a new beach. In 1986, there was a slide at Redwood Gulch, Monterey Post Mile 5.75, that closed the road for 68 days, and the slide at Redwood Gulch covered about 300 feet of the highway and closed the road from Ragged Point to Julia Pfeiffer's Burns State Park. During this time, Caltrans just routinely pushed slide debris into the ocean until the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary was created in 1992, and that made dumping material into the ocean illegal and made how Caltrans responded to slides differ quite a bit. Continuing this, in 1997, a landslide near Gorda, Monterey Post Mile 10.177, closed the road for about a month, and there was a $5.5 million project to permanently repair the highway, which was completed the following October. And as I'd like to note, although with Big Sur, the word permanent may not be the right word. The Sur often has a different idea. In 1998, about 40 different locations were damaged by El Nino storms, including a major slide two miles south of Gorda that closed the road for almost three months. And it was this series of slides that prompted the undertaking of the Big Sur Coast Highway Management Plan, which I also have links to up on the webpage. In 1999, there was an almost three-month closure near Hurricane Point, Monterey, Post Mile 58. There was also a three-month closure in 2000 near Lime Kiln Creek, with a repair cost over $3 million. 
As you can see, this is a very expensive road to maintain, and it takes a lot of work. And then in 2017, we have the Mud Creek Slide at Monterey, post mile nine and change. This took out a large section of Route 1 that didn't reopen until July 2018, over a year. You couple this with Paul's slide to the north, and access to the community of Gorda was completely cut off aside from Nacimento-Ferguson Road. And the LA Times noted, and I'm quoting, unable to excavate the route of the old highway, the engineers and geologists had decided instead to build a new highway over the slide itself. It was a novel approach. After the 1983 slides, debris was shoveled into the ocean, a strategy that changed the landscape and was criticized for being too intrusive. The new road at Mud Creek, the engineers realized, needed to be protected from the mountain above and the ocean below. Drawing upon data from satellite, radar, drilling samples, and computer models, they came up with a plan that was conceptually simple but challenging to execute. A catch basin hundreds of feet above the road was cleared and lined with retaining walls that would catch debris falling from the mountain. A long breakwater known as a revetment was constructed along the base of the slides to dispel the force of the waves and minimize erosion. Now, I'm not an expert fully on this area. Is that where the slide occurred again, or did that section hold? That section held. Uh, the one that's a problem right now is north of there. And speaking of that section north of there... In January 2021, a large section of road collapsed into the sea near Rat Creek, 15 miles south of the community of Big Sur Village. The breach began the day before with the California Highway Patrol officer noting the loss of the southbound Oceanside Lakes. Caltrans noted debris flow the same day and ordered an emergency repair. When repair crews arrived on Friday, they reported that both lanes of the road had been lost. Media drone footage showed a complete loss of the road at the breach, including land on the inland side of the road. During the spring, contractors worked seven days a week to fill in the slide with compacted dirt and bring it up to road level. A new roadbed was built at a cost of $11.5 million. The road was expected to reopen in April 2021, but it opened two months earlier than expected. Now, in January 2023, Paul's slide reactivated at Post Mile Monterey 22. For several years, Caltrans had managed debris falling to Paul slides by creating a catchment area along the northbound shoulder. Concrete barriers and fencing were utilized to as a protective barrier between the travel lanes and the catchment area. Falling debris would gather in this area behind the barriers and be removed later. However, this filled with debris and was cleared several times between November 22 and January 23. The reactivation of Paul slides resulted in slide material overwhelming the catchment area along the northbound shoulder. The slide pushed the concrete barriers from the northbound shoulder into the center of the roadway. Since Paul slide reactivated, there has been no meaningful protection that can be provided for travelers below the slide. While the effects of the slide on the roadway are visible, the magnitude of the slide above the roadway is more difficult, according to Caltrans. Along an almost quarter mile of the mountain, this slide displaced a massive amount of material, resulting in a bulging new slide within the larger slide. Caltrans say it's like slicing a piece of birthday cake. The repair strategy calls for a vertical cut to be made on the mountain, which will sculpt the slope in a way that will permit it to regain stability. This has to be done top-down for the safety of the crews removing the slide material, and because the toe of the slide currently provides a resisting force against the downward force of the slide material. They've established an initial pathway to the top of the slide area and have begun to bring material down, and a massive earthworks operation is continuing to bring slide material and cut slope onto the roadway below. And this doesn't allow for any travel through the Paul slide area while the repairs are being made. The amount of material to be removed at Paul slide is estimated to be on the order of some 500,000 cubic yards. That's over 15 times more material than was removed at the Polar Star or Mill Creek slides. One last area we want to talk about related to the slides. Pfeiffer Canyon Bridge in 2017, just south of Pfeiffer Big Sur State Park, shifting earth damaged the pier supporting the bridge over the 320-foot deep Pfeiffer Canyon. Caltrans immediately closed the highway on February 12, 2017, and announced the next day that the Pfeiffer Canyon Bridge was damaged beyond repair and would have to be replaced. The previous Pfeiffer Canyon Bridge was constructed in 1968, and it was a box concrete girder design. The 1968 
bridge replaced the previous wooden structure that was probably placed in the 1930s. I really couldn't determine that when I was researching that, but I believe that's kind of the era. The new bridge design is a single steel span, which should in theory be a much better design to clear the slide zone of Pfeiffer Canyon. And now we turn to our interview and our guest, Annalise Agron. Annalise, do you want to introduce yourself and say what your relationship is with Big Sur? My name is Annalisa, and I'm a highway enthusiast, and I was studying Highway 1 for a while and in possibility of writing a book about it. And uh, I live in Big Sur now after living in several coastal communities along the California coast, and I've lived in Big Sur for about eight and a half years. What is life like on the Sur? How, how is it to live out there? It's a commitment. That is, that is my word. Uh, to live here is to be prepared, something that everybody's doing now for this winter. We have an email list that everyone's been very helpful making suggestions on things to remember to, you know, supply for the winter because the road will probably go out. And as you know, Nascimento Ferguson is closed. So there might be stretches of a month at a time where we're not able to get out and we're preparing for it. That's the commitment. When that happens, do they helicopter supplies in? Because there's no road to bring in supplies. Last winter, CABS, the Community Association of Big Sur, did arrange for helicopter supplies brought in, as well as people's prescriptions, pet food. It was amazing, the community support that this southern part received. If I recall correctly, when the Pfeiffer, uh, when Pfeiffer Canyon had um, the problems with set 2017, didn't people just more or less hike across the canyon to kind of get north of the slide zone to get up to Carmel and Monterey and get supplies? Yes. What they did there is they had to get a special permit with California State Parks to create that trail. And so residents would park a car on either side and they would be able to then go to work or go to stores and then they would backpack everything back home. Everyone, everyone did comment that they were in the best shape they've ever been in during that time. What is your interaction like with Caltrans? Is it a love-hate relationship? Do you admire them for all they're doing? How well do you guys get along? Depends on who you ask. There's some people that are not positive about Caltrans. Um, you asked me what my opinion is. I like Caltrans. I think they do an incredible job against difficult circumstances. This summer, for example, the amount of culvert redo work, or however you phrase it, has been so impressive. They have redone so many culverts in anticipation of another wet El Nino winter. The frustration that other people have, though, is in the past, Caltrans has been working with residents so that they could have more access through these slides when they happen so that people can get to work or they can get kids to school. But this past winter, Caltrans wasn't as flexible. I I think of Mud Creek when we had Madonna as the road construction guys. They were super accommodating and making sure that we had a schedule and we knew we could get in and out between, say, 7 and 8 in the morning and come back between 4 and 5 p.m. But we have a different set of contractors that Caltrans is putting on the slide work now, and they're just not willing to take the risk of having people travel through the slide zones. And so people understand when you have to do these detours, when the roads are closed, how much extra time does it add to your day? Well, last winter when Nacimento Ferguson was open, it would take us three hours to get to 101. And when I say to get to 101, you're only at either Bradley or King City. You still need to go to Monterey <laughs> or you need to go to San Luis Obispo. So then that's another hour. So we're talking a four-hour trip that would only take an hour to an hour and a half if you had Highway 1 open. With Nacimento Ferguson closed? So 
Nacimento Ferguson Road was closed to the public last year because of the road damage, but we could deal with one lane and the safety issues. And so we were allowed to use it, but it still took us three hours to get to 101. Whereas now, Nacimento Road's still closed. Gosh, now I'm getting all confused. I got all of that. (laughs) Say this all again. If you have to get to Monterey now, how long does it take you? I can't get to Monterey now. So I'm south of Paul's slide, and so we can't we can't get there unless I guess the answer is we have to go south to Cambria, we have to go over 46 to 101, and go on north. Residents can use Nacimento Ferguson on on a certain limited schedule right now, but we stay away from it so that the road crew can get as much work done before the rains come again, and then Nacimento Ferguson will still be closed until they come back in the spring to finish the job and possibly it'll be open sometime late in 2024. What do you know about the prognosis about the current closure? I want to say I saw articles just last week saying Caltrans does not think it's going to be open this winter. Correct. Paul slide is what you're talking about? Yeah. They were, the original forecast was maybe August, maybe November. This was what they told us back in January, February, March, April. Maybe August, maybe November. Well, here we are at, what, November 26th. It's not open. And as you had said earlier in your broadcast here, it's a slide that's still moving, and they've been trying to engineer and accommodate for that. So now I don't know. I can't tell you when we will have a through route through Big Sur. And and lastly, before I say what, what else do you have, what do you think the residents of Big Sur think those that travel through this area should know? I know one from just reading what you write is don't go up the side roads that are marked residents only. If people could know road conditions before they come up this way, that would be helpful. Caltrans put up huge electric signs, you know, with road closed ahead nine miles or road closed ahead uh, 10 miles north of Gorda. But there was a San Jose Mercury News article when Mud Creek was closed, and it was hilarious about how many people would go past all these different signs, whether they were the electric flashing signs that Caltrans put up or the bright orange road closed ahead signs that Caltrans put up. And they would reach Gorda at that Mud Creek closure and go into the store and say, the road's closed? (laughs) So... If we could all get better at knowing road closure information, that would be great. I think Caltrans does the best job it can, but it's really hard to inform the traveling public or even traveling tourists who just don't know. And at this point, we need we further emphasize, if you don't know about it, bookmark QuickMap at quickmap.dot.ca.gov or download the QuickMap app. This will give you up-to-the-date road conditions on any California highway, and it's a wonderful resource. Don't trust what Google says. Trust the quick map. Yes. Yeah. Don't trust Google Maps or Apple Maps. No. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to tell us about life on the Sur? Road closures, the impact on life? Well, Well, it's still a wonderful place to visit and a wonderful place to live at, but, you know, fill your... Fill your tank with gas before you leave Cambria or San Luis Obispo. Or if you're coming from the north, fill your tank with gas before you leave Carmel or Monterey. And uh, when you're here, tread lightly, leave no trace, please. Well, I'll amend that a little bit. Tread lightly, leave no trace, except leave your tourist dollars with the merchants who need it. That's nice, yes. And there's wonderful merchants here to visit. Because, you know... These folks depend on your tourist dollars to live. And if I recall correctly, don't most of the stations that exist in Big Sur itself, don't they run off generators? The stations, the gas stations? Yeah, like they're not connected to like the rest of the power grid in the rest of the state. Correct. Well, you know what? Actually, no, let me correct myself. Big Sur proper to the north does have power lines down to, I want to say Nepente might have power lines. So that would be the Valero and the Shell that are up in Big Sur proper. And then down here to the south, Gorda, that's on generator. 
Right. So it's always an interesting conversation when I see that pop up on general road sites and people that see the prices don't understand, like, they're running on fuel to actually power the station. <laughs> uh, it's not similar to like a situation you would see like in Wawona, uh, like in Yosemite. It's very, uh, it's very, it's amusing to me when I see it because people are kind of spelling like, yeah, I don't go to remote areas. Then they see what the prices are in locations like Gorda. They don't understand. And yeah. I try to explain as best I can. Gorda gas has been in the news many times for being the most expensive gas. I think in the U.S., but definitely in California. But Mendocino, I hear, has a gas station that costs a lot, too. Yes, the the Chevron on Main Street. Yeah, I think so. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining us, and you're welcome to stay on for the rest of the podcast. At the end, we sort of have a discussion post-credits to say what was notable about this segment, and you're welcome to join us in that. Well, thank you very much. I think I'll, I'll beg off only because then I can listen to this on my next hour and a half drive to San Luis Obispo once you uh, put it out on the web. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Goodbye. It was great having you. Bye. So, returning back to our narrative and looking now at the freeway plans for this area, as you can imagine, unlike Santa Monica, there were no plans for a freeway along Big Sur. However, some segments of Big Sur have had freeway bypasses constructed. There's one in Cambria. There's one in Morro Bay. There's one in Cayucos, and much of Route 1 has been converted to expressway, which is the two two-lane carriageways with few grade crossings, but it's not completely free-flowing. On the other hand, there have been no major relinquishments in this area. We're past the area where folks want, cities want to take over the highway. Yeah, I don't, I don't foresee anyone ever requesting a relinquishment in the Big Sur region. Yep. It's just it's too expensive. So now, now let's talk about some of the projects that are going on in the area. So bridge replacements, the Santa Maria Bridge Replacement near Guadalupe, the Old Creek Bridge near Keokos, the Toro Creek Bridge near Morro Bay, the Limekiln Creek Bridge near Lu- Lucia, some realignments inland, Pedras Blancas near San Simeon, as well as Gorda. Other than that, the one major project along there we've talked about, which is all the work to repair the slide damage. In terms of naming, Route 1 from Kansas Highway, San Luis Obispo, Post Mile 20.89, to Cannett Road, 25.58, is named the Charles I. Walter Memorial Highway. It was named in memory of Charles I. Walter, who was born and raised on his parents' large dairy ranch that was located near the former U.S. Army camp near San Luis Obispo and where parts of the California Polytechnic State University now exist. His father immigrated from Switzerland and purchased the first 5,000 acres of the property in San Luis Obispo County to run a dairy ranch in the late 1880s, and then he later purchased an additional 3,000 acres adjacent. In 1923, Charles Carlos Walter passed away, leaving his wife Mary and his five children to take care of each other in the ranch, and in 1941, during World War II, the U.S. government took over the ranch by eminent domain. It was at this time that two of Charles Walter's children, Charles I. Walter and his brother Elmer started the Walter Brothers Construction Company, which specialized in the operation of heavy equipment and road construction. After World War II, most of the ranch that was still not used by the U.S. Army was given to Cuesta College and the California Polytechnic State University, and the portion of the property is still called the Walter Ranch. From that time until his death in 1978, Charles I. Walter played a significant role in the construction of over 200 miles of freeway and expressway in the state of California and most particularly portions of Route 1 in the county of San Luis Obispo. The five-mile portion of Route 1 that was named runs through the old Walter family ranch. This was named in 2017. One other section that relates to road construction, it's not on Route 1, it's on US 101. There is a section named after Madonna, of the famous Madonna Inn, and another major road construction company was Madonna. The Madonna family built a road construction company, and they built a load of the roads in San Luis Obispo County, and part of US 101 is named after him. In terms of bridges, there are two bridges of interest. The Lime Creek Bridge in Monterey County, which is Bridge 44-053 at Monterey, post mile 32.25, is the Harvey Robert Huss Memorial Bridge. On February 11, 1973, 
Huss, a District 5 maintenance worker, was battling his way through mudslides on Route 1 to rescue a motorist trapped by the slides. A large culvert at Laffler Canyon plugged up and the water ran over the road and washed it out. Regrettably, the individual who reported the slide didn't mention the roadway was gone. And when Mr. Huss came around the corner and the road wasn't there, he fell 300 feet into the canyon below and it was almost a year before his body was recovered. He was posthumously awarded the Medal of Valor, California's highest civilian award for heroism. It was named in 1974. The bridge at Burns Creek in Big Sur, which is at Monterey 34, was dedicated in the memory of Thomas Sanders. He was a District 5 maintenance supervisor who in 1991 was helping the CHP direct traffic near the Little Big Sur Bridge in Monterey County while a tow truck was recovering a car that had gone over the cliff. A driver under the influence of drug drugs crashed into a truck that had slowed down due to the recovery efforts. After exchanging information with the driver, she got back into her car and drove towards the controlled lane closure. She ignored the closure and continued driving through a series of cones, narrowly missing a CHP officer. The officer attempted to pull her over. She continued up the highway, drifting onto the shoulder, striking Mr. Sanders. She then collided with the guardrail and careened across two lanes, coming to a stop. She tried to leave again, but was stopped by bystanders who took her keys. Mr. Sanders was rushed to the hospital, but succumbed to his injuries that evening, and it was named in 1997. And I think these two bridges highlight something that is worth mentioning, which is we think about the danger to life and limb that our highway patrol officers face when they go out on the road. But maintenance workers also take their lives into their hands with a lot of motorists. And these are two officers or two workers who lost their lives due to it. You see the electronic message signs that say when you see the worker cones slow down, they mean it. You know, um, you don't want to have someone not come home to their family because you were trying to save an extra two minutes and drove too fast through a maintenance area. Next time on California Highways Route by Route, we continue to explore Route 1 by looking at the route north of Carmel in Monterey County through Santa Cruz County. This is part of the segment that starts at San Luis Obispo County and runs up the coast of San Francisco. For more information, visit the pages on Route 1, Route 41, Route 46, US 101, and Legislative Route 56 over on cahighways.org. I will link these all in the show notes. And Tom has loads and loads of Gribble Nation blogs from when he was exploring the area, and we will put links to all of them up on the show notes. Do you want to say anything about all those pages, Tom? Well, a lot of that is related to Mud Creek, uh, the Pfeiffer Canyon Bridge collapse, uh, Paul Slide. I was out there a lot during the middle of all that. It was really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to kind of get to that area of the highway when it was isolated like that as a non-resident. So it was certainly something I really enjoyed doing. And we will put additional links up on our show page on caroutbyroute.org. As always, information on this episode is available on our website, caroutbyroute.org, where you can leave us comments on the episode. This episode is also available on our anchor.fm home, anchor.fm forward slash caroutbyroute. Join us as we continue to explore California highways route by route. This episode was written by Daniel Fagan and Tom Fear, and we'd like to thank our guest, Annalise Agron, for joining us. It was edited and produced by Daniel Fagan. Our opening theme is I Like to Be by the Seaside by John H. Kind. If you have an opening theme that you think might be good for our show and is either in the public domain or you're willing to let us use for free, please let us know. Um, I found one theme that would be great, but I have no idea how to get the rights to it. Um, episodes are recorded using freeconferencecall.com, and this product is a product of California Highways at cahighways.org and Gribble Nation at gribblenation.org. And with that, we do our post-credits discussion. Is there anything you'd like to add on the segment of Route 1 between Oh, Arroyo Grande and Big Sur, Tom. So specifically with with Big Sur, I have a large family connection to this segment of Route 1. Uh, we took a family trip from San Francisco down to San Diego uh, in 1993, uh, and we pretty much followed Route 1 all the way pretty much to the vicinity of Santa Monica. So we went through uh, Big Sur. It was a big attraction for my dad. My dad was familiar with it. Uh, I really wanted everyone in the family to see it. Um, 
And when you're 11 years old, especially just the whole area is just overwhelming, uh, especially coming from the Midwest like I, I did. There was nothing really that even approached the magnitude of the Big Sur area. So for, for me, it's something I would go back and revisit, especially when I moved to Arizona. Um, I drove it again in 2014, uh, hiked a little bit, uh, and really was a contributor of why I moved back to the West Coast in 2016 uh, when I got a transfer in the Fresno area because I knew I had access to things like Yosemite, Sequoia, Kings Canyon, Pinnacles, and the Big Sur area. So, like, I know I talk about a lot uh, with, like, scenic highways and the worst scene, and I think this kind of goes without saying with the segment, but really, this is one of the best, if not a contender for the best scenic highway in the entire country, uh, and probably would be a strong contender, I would imagine, in the rest of the world. Um, but my mom really loved this area too. Uh, I really wanted to revisit it. Unfortunately, she could not do so before she passed away in 2015, but they did spread her ashes in San Simeon near Hearst Castle, which was a place that she really wanted to see again. Whereas I think I've only driven Big Sur once, maybe twice. Um, I don't get up to that area that often. For me, I'm just, astounded by the amount of work Caltrans puts in to keep that area open and to help protect those residents. It is a lot of work. And I read through the CTC minutes and you see all the emergency allocations. People don't appreciate all the emergency work Caltrans does to keep roads open when we have bad weather. You know, they're quick to criticize Caltrans for road conditions, but it's a lot of work. And to look into what they do with the slides there, it's amazing what they do, the engineering yeah. that goes into it. This is just not a segment of road that wants to stay open, and there's enough will and support at the state level to keep it open. Uh, and that really says a lot in modern times. And I think it's worth contrasting this segment of the road with the Lost Coast, which we'll get to in the last episode on Route 1, which is another segment of what would have been Route 1 north of Leggett that they've just never been able to open. It's just so inaccessible that they cannot open it. And whereas this segment had the will to open it and keep it open, that segment just has been left pretty much uh, as it was. Yeah, I'd argue Big Sur is more difficult to keep open than the Lost Coast. I'm a little bit familiar with it myself, but the terrain is just an absolute monster in the Big Sur region. And with that... We will let folks go, um, and next time we will talk about Monterey and Carmel and the areas a bit north of that, which is an area that both Tom and I know well. So we will see you next time on California Highways Route by Route. Mm-hmm.